today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Jesus himself says, no one comes to the Father except through him. All, guys, I I understand. All roads do lead to God. I fully understand that. But there's only one narrow road that leads to salvation. All the rest of those roads that lead to God lead to judgment. And guys, it matters what you believe. You cannot fail the doctrinal test and simply say, well, at least I was sincere in my belief, because you'll be sincerely wrong for all of eternity. All roads lead to God. However, only one narrow road leads to salvation. As you listen to today's message from Pastor David, he encourages you to place your belief and trust in Jesus. Belief in God is not enough. It's the belief in Christ that grants you eternal life. Jesus himself said that no one can come to the Father except through him. There is only one way to salvation, and his name is Jesus. Pastor David teaches that what you believe is extremely important and that your belief needs to be in Jesus. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 5 as he continues his message that you may know. I've got people that I know in this town right now that say, hey, they're, yeah, oh, yeah, love you, Pastor David. I just can't go to your church. So-and-so still goes there, right? And I think, really? You're letting another individual direct your spiritual life in that. And if that is a situation, your responsibility is to go to that one. That's what the Word says. You come and bring your gift to the altar, and the Lord reminds you, hey, so-and-so has something against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar. And I like that. Leave your gift at the altar. And then, but go, go and take care of that issue with your brother or sister. You've got an issue with somebody? It's your responsibility. Don't sit back and say, well, I'll just wait until they come, because I, it wasn't me that did the bad thing. It was them. You know what? So go and talk to them. Go and talk to them, and maybe just perchance you might win a brother back. No reason for that kind of schism, for that kind of division. Christ was so rejected. He was rejected by his family. He was executed by his own countrymen. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The very ones he came to save were the ones that condemned him to die. Yet he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. So what right do I have to hold anything against anyone? Did they really feel that the body of Christ could be divided and it not impact the message of the gospel and the testimony of of their lives to the world around them? Particularly when Jesus himself had told the disciples, hey, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. 
Not by the number of uh, Bible verses you quote, though it's good to know Bible verses. Not by the amount of time that you come to church, so it's good to, man, come and be in fellowship with believers in Christ and to encourage one another in that. Not by any other thing. He said, this one thing, this one thing alone is how the world will know that you are my disciples. Because you have that bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus, how about you? Nah. See a lot of people with bumper stickers and shirts and you think, oh man, why don't you turn that shirt inside out if that's the way you're going to be doing or living or driving. Okay, now he's preaching. Okay. Uh, John wanted the church to fully and, and, and completely know, to be without any excuse that we are to love one another, even as Christ loved each one of us. Knowing full well who we are, who we were, where we had been, and what we are yet going to do. That's the omniscience of, of God. He knows tomorrow, and yet he still loves us. Nothing takes him by surprise. If Christ, being so intimately aware of all of our failures, was still willing to give his life for our salvation, is it too much for him to ask us to live our lives in humility, and forgiveness to one another. I don't believe that it is. I wish I could tell you, man, I, I, I've reached that point. I, I, I don't have any problems with anybody. It's still, I'm still on journey, just like with a lot of you. For those of you that have finally reached that plateau of, man, there's no animosities and there's no issues, praise God. But I know that a lot of us, we're still on journey and we continue to surrender that to the Lord. If we're going to say that we are lovers of God and that we are his true children, then we need to understand that that paternal bond that we have with each other through the blood of Christ, that paternal bond that we are children of God. God is our father. He's our father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a paternal bond. That ought to be sufficient to cause us to work tirelessly at having a true and a sacrificial love for one another, and that we would walk with forgiveness. And when I screw up and I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, that you would forgive me. And when you say something or do something or act some way, then I'm going to say, man, that's just another brother, another sister that's on journey just the way I am. I don't like what you did. And by the way, listen, I love you enough to speak to you and say, you know what you said, man, that cut me to the heart. And you know, if they are really on journey in Christ, it'd probably break their heart to know that they did that to a brother and sister. So again, sometimes that responsibility comes back to us taking care of that issue. Let's move on into chapter five. That's where we're supposed to be. Chapter five, we, we, we see a little bit of the doctrinal test here laid out right before us. First uh, John five, uh, verse one, John writes, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, loves Christ, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So if you love Jesus, you love God. The relationship is there. But also, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. The first, the foremost, really, to be correct in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I, I spoke about that earlier. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, 
That's a short sentence, but it speaks volumes if you truly understand what John is saying. If we, if we don't get that right, if we don't get that doctrinal understanding of who Jesus Christ is, then our entire doctrinal structure collapses. The very basis of our faith is built on the fullness of the doctrine of Christ. We need to understand fully, accept fully, because they will come to your door, knocking on your door, asking you if you are concerned with all the suffering in life, and you can get caught up and sucked up into it. They can come to you and share their pamphlets and their stories with you. And if you don't have your doctrine right, you're going to get sucked up into it. Guys, if you don't understand that Jesus Christ, yes, it, 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 is, a, it, it is a mathematical equation that is truly out of this world because he is 100% man and 100% God at the exact same time. You say, well, that's mathematically impossible. Yeah, in this world, there's a lot of things that are impossible. With man, many things are impossible, but not with God. He is 100% man, thus he was acquainted with our griefs. That's why he had to be 100% man. That's why Isaiah tells us in 53, he was acquainted with our griefs. Uh, the word tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that he was tempted in all things, even as we are, and yet he was without sin. Guys, if he wasn't human, how could he be tempted with those things, just like we are? Hebrews 10.10 tells us that it was his precious blood that was spilt as the completeness of the sacrifice. If he wasn't 100% human, then his blood would not have been sufficient for a sacrifice. Romans 5 tells us that only as a human could he fulfill the role as that second Adam. With the first Adam came in sin, and with sin came death. When the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came in, then came power over sin and came, again, life from death. He had to be human to, again, fulfill the whole situation. And on and on we could go in just speaking about the humanity of Christ. But he was also 100% God, 100% God in that human flesh, James 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And James 1 tells us the word was God, not was a God. No, the word was God. And that word became flesh. And we go a lot of other places within the word to share about the fact. Isaiah 7.14 tells us that he, his name was Emmanuel, God with us. Not just a portion of God with us, not just a, a messenger of God with us. No, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9 declares that his name is Almighty God, that Jesus himself is Almighty God. He even has the title of Everlasting Father. And on and on we could go on, on that about the, the, the divinity of Christ, but we don't have time to cover all of that tonight. He is the only sacrifice. He is the only mediator for man. We read that in Acts chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 9, and Hebrews chapter 12. Guys, he is the only sacrifice. There's nothing else that's available. He is the only way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
But what about that gentle Buddhist that's helping and caring for you know hundreds of people? What, what, what about that, uh, my great aunt Sadie, who's, who's so sweet? No one comes to the Father except through Christ. Guys, we can either believe our emotions or we can stand on the truth of God's word and say, you know what? There's some things I don't understand. I give those to God. But this one thing I do know, Jesus himself says, no one comes to the Father except through him. All, guys, I, I understand. All roads do lead to God. I fully understand that. But there's only one narrow road that leads to salvation. All the rest of those roads that lead to God lead to judgment. And guys, it matters what you believe. You cannot fail the doctrinal test and simply say, well, at least I was sincere in my belief because you'll be sincerely wrong for all of eternity. Now we move on to the moral test. Yeah, and it matters how you and I live, the choices that I make every day, the choice you make every day, every moment of the day. It matters. Not because we gain our salvation by, by living our lives in obedience. No, not in order to gain his salvation, to gain his love. But because we truly are saved, now we are to live our lives in obedience. Chapter 5, down in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, guess what, guys? They are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. That's our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So clear, he's saying, man, you know what? We overcome the world, the attacks, the, the labor, the burden, the law. We overcome all of that stuff. Not just overcoming the sin of the world, everything that the world, we overcome the world through faith. We overcome the religion and the structures and the doctrines of man because of Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. Is the law still important? Absolutely. The law is still very important because, number one, it shows the greatness and the, the holiness of Almighty God. It shows the wretchedness of us. But you know what? I don't walk according to the law. I walk in accordance to obedience to the Spirit leading in my life. I'm not walking because an Old Testament declaration says, hey, don't, don't mix uh, cotton with uh, linen or whatever the, the statements are. I'm, I'm, I'm not burdened about those things. I'm not burdened about that kind of a thing. But I am burdened about displeasing my father, my father that loves me so much. He's not like the God of Islam that, that stands up there and, you know, at, at any moment you could be destroyed. There, there's nothing about the God of Islam that speaks of love and compassion. But yet you read the word of God and the message of our God speaks of love and compassion. Yes, even in the Old Testament, and very, very strongly in the Old Testament. People say, well, I don't like that God of the Old Testament because, you know, he's just, you know, he's like really strict and harsh and, and everything. No, you, you're misreading the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is long-suffering. He's faithful. He's, the, his justness. Uh, all of these things. 
It's not by our works, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that's living through us and through obedience to that spirit, there ought to be a difference in our lives. Guys, what what makes a butterfly so beautiful and and, and delicate? What is it that gives her the the beautiful gracefulness and, and, and those exploding colors? Was it because some little fuzzy caterpillar was walking along one day and suddenly he he saw a, a pretty little piece of a pattern, maybe it was of a leaf, maybe it was a piece of cloth or something. He said, well, that looks really nice. I'm going to glue that on over here. Oh, there's another one there. I'm going to glue that on over here. I'm going to climb to the top of this tree, and I'm going to jump off, and I'm going to just float gracefully through the air. What would happen to that caterpillar? Splat. Yeah. What happens to a lot of caterpillars? No, guys. It's not by what the caterpillar did. It's by the process of metamorphosis. The old things had to pass away. And all things had to become new within that caterpillar. She had to become a new creature. No longer a caterpillar. And guess what? A butterfly is never able to go back to being a caterpillar either. Oh, I failed as a butterfly. I'm going to have to go back as a caterpillar now. No, it doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, she's going to give birth to other caterpillars that will need to go through metamorphosis, just like we, that next generation. They, they don't go on our salvation. Your children don't go on your salvation. Your grandchildren don't go on your salvation. Each generation is on their own. They have to go through that metamorphosis. They have to go through that change. That change, old things passed away, no longer the same. They have to become new creatures. She, we have to be, just as that caterpillar, we have to be changed by the very hand of God. We live our life to the glory of God. Why? Because God's glory now resides in us. That's why we live our life for his glory. Not in order to gain his pleasure. Guys, his pleasure was for us while we were still his enemies. That's the greatness of his love. We live our life for him. We purposefully choose to die to self. Then the spirit of God takes over our lives. Not a work of the flesh, but a work of his spirit because we have become the children of God. How? By the grace of God through faith in the son of God. And our filthy works before God raise up a stench. I'm going to gain God's favor. No, God's favor is already yours. Serve him because of the greatness of his love for you. Not in order to gain it. You need to know it's there. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Guys, we, we, we can't do that on our own. And many of us have the scars to prove it. Amen. We cannot overcome the world on our own. Many of us have tried a variety of different ways. And man, we, we, just like that caterpillar, we keep splatting on the ground. We keep falling back to the ground. Why? Because we're trying to do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's when we overcome the world. Let's move on. John, again, now he, he comes back to that whole idea of the doctrine of Christ. Verse 6. This is he, speaking of Christ, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, 
not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. Bear with me here as I read through this, and you'll understand why in a moment. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. In verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. How many of you got lost in a portion of that passage? Okay. Uh, let me just address the elephant in the room real quick. Some of your Bibles will read a little bit differently than, than what I just read. Some of your Bibles actually have, that you, you, they've either removed what would have been verse 7, or they've italicized it, or they've shoved it over in the margin. My, my version in verse 7 says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That's what my new King James says. King James Version also, and I believe a few other versions say that. Some of your Bibles will have it without making any kind of uh, mention of the conflict of that verse. But let me warn you, if you feel that you now, wow, that's, that's the proof I've needed of the Trinity. It's, it's right there, that the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and they're all three one. That's, that's the proof of the Trinity. Well, uh, you run off, you tell that to your Jehovah's Witness or your LDS friends uh, to try and prove the Trinity. You're going to find out pretty quick you're sadly mistaken because it's that, that verse actually was most likely put in a later edition of the text. There's a lot of reasons I can go in to say that. It does not lessen the truth of the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. But this one little passage here in John, 1 John chapter 5, the best scholarship, the best of biblical historians believe that this was probably added later during a, later in time than when the, it was during the time that the Greek text had, was being translated into the Latin. It's what's called the Johnine comma, the Johnine comma. And to quote one of the uh, uh, scholars, he said, it should be noted that not only does the manuscript evidence strongly favor the omission of that passage, but the same is true concerning the testimony even of the early church. Not one Greek or Latin church father in the early years ever quotes that passage up in the first four and a half centuries. For 450 years, they, they've never quoted that. And we have a lot of writings from church fathers of that time. And he says here, this is especially revealing in light of the many controversies revolving around the Trinity. In fact, they were battling for the doctrine of the Trinity in those 450 years. It would have been only reasonable to say, no, this, this is what John says right here, that there are three in heaven that agree, the, the Father and the Word and, and the Spirit, and these three are one. Why wouldn't they use that? Well, the understanding is very possibly it was added later. If the Johnine comma was a part of the original text, then what would have been a better passage to quote in order to prove the Trinity? Again, your version may have it, it may not, it may have it as a footnote, may have it in the margin. But the three that do bear witness are the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Open 
Thanks for joining Pastor David today to study the letters of the Apostle John here on The Open Word. Though our program will come to an end today, your time in God's Word can continue uninterrupted. In fact, we encourage you to study today's passage on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak through what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you can find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us Saturday, Sunday, or Wednesday for our weekly gatherings at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find service times and directions by clicking the church link at theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially need prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts will be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Thank you for praying and thank you for being a listener to The Open Word. Make us more.